Episode 17, Backroom Deals, Part 1. Hi, this is Dragnacarta, DM for Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. You're listening to the Twice Bitten Podcast, a campaign where five Curse of Strahd DMs head back into the mists for a hauntingly familiar adventure. Starring Jack as Betrion, Kaya as Lillison, Linus as Amity, Serena as Kiva, and Twy as Erthrandir. You can catch the horror live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Twitch at twitch.tv slash rcurseofstrahd, or watch new episodes every Monday on YouTube at youtube.com slash c slash rcurseofstrahd. You can also listen to new episodes of this podcast weekly at anchor.fm slash twice-bitten, or wherever you like to syndicate your podcasts. Now, let's get right to Ravenloft. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, as always, to Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten, a show where five DMs take on D&D's top-tier got-the-car campaign. I'm Dragnacarta, as always, your host and DM, and thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in, especially given that this is, I believe, our uh, last session before the holiday break. Right, Linus? Yes. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the, the, the concreteness. Like, like, no, there's, there's no ambiguity here. It's just yes. This is a true statement, Dragna Carta. Let us continue. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Linus Mott. Cool. So, um, hopefully you all... Uh, Enjoyed today's session. Thank you to everyone for being here. And of course, we'll have more announcements after the break. But for now, I think we are good to get started with Curse of Strahd Twice Bitten. A striking elven female with an almost ritualized poise, Kiva Cyrilai always endeavors to be a level-headed mediator and a soothing presence in the lives of all she meets. Determined to look ever forward, she relies on controlling day-to-day chaos. Anyone who watches her for long enough, however, can clearly see there's something undeniably feral and unpredictable bubbling under the surface. In the company of these fine strangers, he is just Metrion. But across the Sword Coast, he's known as Metrion the Magnificent, He is a tiefling whose body and dress carry the signatures of a nomadic performer, as evidenced by the rougher edges of his costume and his sinewy frame covered in faded tattoos. Though he may not look like a typical magician, rest assured, he cleans up quite handsomely. The well-dressed, well-spoken half-elf who introduced herself as Lilisen has stayed away from the rest of the traveling group during the journey so far. Oh, she's friendly enough if someone strikes up a conversation with her. Charming, even. But left to her own devices, she invariably keeps to herself, and even looks nervous when anyone comes within ten feet of her. Amity, a terrifying deviloid with a tail that will knock your drink over if she gets too excited. Even worse, some pig follows her around and eats almost as much as she does. Yet, she's generous and easy to befriend, especially if you get her talking about her book of fables. Just, if she compares you to a fox, it's hard to tell if that's a compliment. 
Erythrindir is a high elf man who looks perpetually like he's never quite got enough sleep. After his departure from elven society, he found himself out in the wilderness, working as a ranger in the deep, deep woods. However, this did little to quell his passion for history, and he's found himself on the road to Neverwinter, hoping to track down a book that might hold the answer to a question he's held for a long, long time. And welcome back. So, last we left off, I believe, on Curse of Strahd, Twice Bitten. Our travelers seeking coin had traveled west to the Wizard of Wine's winery, which they learned had been invaded by evil druids and a horde of blights. There, they assisted Davian Mardikov, the owner of the winery and patriarch of the Mardikov clan, in clearing the winery out, though not before receiving an ominous warning from one of the druids and a foreboding dream the following night. The next day, now unsettled by the knowledge that the winery's production might be cut off for good, the travelers set off on the old Svalich road once more, escorting a wagon of wine alongside Adrian and Elvir Mardikov. Despite a brief encounter with a mysterious figure in the woods and an ambush by a pack of wolves that left one of the Mardikov's trusty draft horses quite deceased, the characters eventually made their way safely to Velaki's gates. There, however, they found Ismark Kolyanovich, wounded, exhausted, but alive, laying low amid the abandoned cottages outside the town's walls. He shared that he had been exiled from Velaki, knocked unconscious and thrown out after attempting to protect his sister, Irina, from the clutches of Izek Strozny, the Baron's brute and enforcer, who had cornered them after the Festival of the Blazing Sun went south the previous day. Vowing to rescue Irina, the party disguised Ismark and made their way through the town's gates. After delivering the promised wine to the Blue Water Inn and securing a promise of payment from Erwin Mardikov, the companions scattered amongst town on separate tasks. Amity and Metreon departed for Blinsky Toys, where Amity obtained her purchased leg brace, and Metreon learned that Blinsky had crafted toys resembling Irina for Isaac's use over the past several months. Meanwhile, Erthrandir made his way to Baron Velokovich's home, hoping to gain access to Isaac's master. There, he secured a first lesson as a potential tutor for the Baron's son. At the same time, Kiva and Lillison headed across town to the estate at Vokter House, hoping to gain support and key information from Lady Vokter to wield against her and their enemies. And so. Together, Lillison and Kiva, you make your way past the front gates of the cast iron fence that surrounds the old slouching estate. Beyond you can see the faint whirls and wisps of mist that cling faintly like gossamer shrouds to the dark greens of the gardens that are laid out neatly though overgrown in places amidst the front side of the house. Together you make your way around the front walkway passing forth until you can see the front door coming into view. If you'd like, you may have a second to speak amongst yourselves, or you may make your way to the front door. Is there anything you wish to do before making your presence known? Kiva's just sort of looking at Lillison 
And you can see that there's a very steely determination, but it's also very obvious that she's not happy with where they are and what they're going to be doing. Um, but she's also she's just so focused on getting Irina back, and this seems to be uh, an easy way to sort of get some information. So it's it's she's sort of torn, and you can almost see it in her body language as well that it's it's very hard for her um, to do this. Um, Lillison is going to look at her um, with a kind of understanding expression, and then say. You don't have to be here if you don't wish to be. I know, and I know you're probably more than capable of handling this on your own, but I don't trust her. And if anything, I'm I'm also just... It's fine. I know you can handle yourself, and I don't mean to imply that you can't, but I feel better knowing that you're not in there alone. I also feel better knowing that I wouldn't be alone, and I know that if anything went wrong, I would be very, very grateful to have you here, but I know that this is not a comfortable place for you. It's better than the thought that actually popped into my mind earlier, so. Do you wish to share, or shall we just continue? Some sick, twisted part of my mind, maybe a part that still has him in it somehow, thought. If he's so interested in her, he probably wouldn't be pleased knowing that some friend of the Baron has her, that maybe we could ask him for help. But as soon as it came into my head, I I wanted to be sick. So this seems like the safer option, at least for her. <sighs> well, if you hear me say anything in there that is a surprise to you, just, just trust me. I will. Uh, I always do. Lillison gives Kiva a bit of a startled look and uh, an unsure smile. She returns the unsure smile, but uh, she's ready to go in. All right. Uh, Lillison's going to walk up to the door and, uh, you know, knock on it. All right. You knock on the door twice, and it's only a few moments that pass before you see the, you hear the click of the small eye-level window open in the door, revealing a familiar eye peering from the other side. It closes once more before you hear the popping and twisting of locks on the other side, the door swinging open to reveal the familiar form of Halik, Fiona's valet. His dark gray hair is still pulled back, his face set in a neutral expression. He simply meets your eyes, Lillison, and bows slightly. My lady has been expecting you, please. And he steps back, uh, ushering for you to follow him inside. Lillison will uh, give him a firm nod and uh, step inside as if she had been expecting this and say, thank you very much. He merely nods uh, and leads you inside. 
The front door closes behind you as he leads you into the lower landing beyond the front vestibule. You can see the stairs leading up to the second floor, um, as well as a second door leading off to the right, uh, from which you uh, smelled the delicious scents on your previous visit, though now the uh, scents are quite gone and the air is simply cold and a bit dry. Once more, Halik leads you through the left stained glass door, opening it with a faint creaking groan and guiding you inside. There you can see the familiar dining room table, not set with the uh, uh, silverware and dishes, perhaps they've been tucked away, but you can see the the eight chairs, their backs adorned with the elkhorns, the arched windows of lattice work of iron and glass looking out onto the small estate beyond. Until he guides you into the parlor beside it, the elegant couches the surrounding the blazing hearth below the nobleman's smirking portrait. He offers you another slight bow. If it pleases you, my lady will join you shortly after she completes other business. Please, if it pleases you, would you like to have a seat, perhaps? Might I fetch you a beverage? Um, Lilison will sit down, uh, leaving plenty of space for Kiva, and say, uh, is there tea available? He nods. Indeed. I would be glad to prepare some. And Thank for you the very witness, much. Of course. He turns to Kiva. Kiva, um, wanting to be the polite guest, will nod um, appreciatively and sit down, keeping some room between her and Lillison and sort of um, fold her scimitar as, as daintily as possible across her legs. He blinks at you for a moment and then says, nodding, tea as well. Uh, yes, please. Thank you very much. He nods, uh, not even betraying so much as a smile as he turns and makes his way out of the room, opening the door, closing it behind him and leaving you for now alone in the room with the portraits and the blazing fire. A moment after he departs. Well, first off, is there anything you're doing while you're waiting? Um... Mostly just, uh, Lillison will just fold her hands and look around and try to take in any details that she might have missed on their previous visit. I think he was sure. probably doing something similar. Uh, if you both like to make a perception check, you may. That is a 12 from me. And <laughs> a 6 from me. Uh, you don't notice anything particularly special. Um, you notice, you know, the several portraits along the walls. Um, you actually do notice that some of the portraits do appear to depict uh, Lady Vokter. Uh, two of the portraits actually resemble uh, the young men that you saw uh, in the Blue Water Inn drinking at one point and listening to Amity's stories. Um, there also appears to be a picture of a young woman as well as assorted other uh, individuals who bear a, a somewhat passing resemblance to uh, Fiona or the nobleman whose portrait sits atop the hearth. Okay, just noting that for later. All right. After a few moments of sitting and waiting politely in the room, uh, Lillison, 
your ears, uh, you hear uh, what sounds to be raised voices coming from the uh, door from which you first entered. From here, they're indistinguishable. After a moment, they taper off before raising again. You can't make out the words, but from this distance, you can tell that there seems to be perhaps a some sort of verbal confrontation uh, elsewhere in the house. Lilith will lean slightly in that direction and uh, try to, you know, strain her hearing. Uh, try as you might, you probably can't really get a good sense of it from here. You'd probably have to listen at the door. Lilithson is going to glance over towards Kiva and uh, just whisper softly uh, in Elvish, Do you hear that? Does Kiva hear that? She does. It just sounds like muffled, raised voices coming from elsewhere in the house through the door from which you entered. An argument, maybe? Or maybe she wasn't expecting us after all? Well, if she wasn't, she's still ob obligated to keep a gracious composure when she sees us. But I do wonder whether there is some other matter that we might use as leverage. I suppose we'll keep an eye out for any signs of uh, extra frustration then. At this point, you do hear the sound of the voices stop almost abruptly. And then a few moments later, you hear the turning of a knob and the clink of glass um, as in through the door, you see Halik bearing a tray bearing a kettle and three teacups, um, followed a heartbeat later by Lady Fiona Vokter, a neutral stony expression on her face, wearing a, a similarly uh, plain gown, though elegant in make, to her previous encounter with you. Uh, though as she sees you, she offers a small nod and a uh, similarly small smile. My good day. A pleasure to uh, welcome you both into my house once again. Good afternoon. We are very sorry to have not given you more advance notice, but um, we have had some time to think about the uh, very generous offer you made last time. Oh, indeed. Well... She kind of takes a seat in a couch across from you, uh, gratefully accepting a full teacup as Halik pours one. Do tell me, uh, whatever means I may have of being of service, so... Wilson will, um, you know, wait for a teacup and just sort of sit back and uh, remain silent with significant glances towards Halik as, for as long as he's there. Fiona picks up on it quite quickly, and she turns to him. Helik, if you wouldn't mind uh, tending to the boys and showing that uh, they are taking care of business. He nods and turns to go. Very good. Uh, she turns back to you with a uh, knowing, mysterious smile, and the door closes shut as Helik exits the chamber. Well then, 
I can appreciate the need for discretion. Do, please, my dear. I assure you, you are among friends. The enemy you spoke of last time seems to have become our common enemy. The Baron's rabid dog, as you termed him. She frowns, her forehead, forehead creasing. Yes, Strasny. Tell me, what, what is it exactly that brings you to my home? I hope nothing particularly untoward. He has uh, gravely injured a good friend of ours, and we do not wish to see him go unpunished for this. She takes a sip from her teacup and offers a sympathetic look. My goodness, you have my, you and your friend have my deepest condolences. Hopefully he is not, uh, or she is not overmuch uh, injured. I had heard of a tussle the other day on the streets, but it's unfortunate. But I can certainly empathize. Master Strozny has done much harm to many in this town, and I am truly sorry that his brutish and diabolic cruelty has seen fit to visit upon yourself and your companions as well. Yes. Our friend will survive, we think, but he... well. He is reckless, and I believe we need to avenge him before he gets it into his head to do it for himself. Do you know of where Strozny lives? She nods. Indeed. It is uh, an interesting arrangement. How is that? Of course. (laughs) You see, Strozny has no home of his own. He's not had one since he was a young boy. No, he lives and has lived for many years in the home and manor of Baron Vlokovich. It sounds as if uh, he and the Baron have some very close arrangement, then? As a sort. Strozny's bestial nature has long since been of note. From what I am told, upon the loss of certain guardians, the Baron took him in. From what I've heard, the young Strasny had a bit of a penchant for cruelty and violence. I'm told that they never found the children's bodies, but evidently the good Baron thought that such a budding brute might be of worth to him. Strasny's lived there ever since. When she mentions children's bodies, uh, Lillison just glances over towards Kiva very quickly to see how she's holding up. Kiva um, takes a very pointed drink from her tea, but her hand is shaking just ever so slightly. Fiona notices uh, the Askins at her words. Perhaps it is worth to note, of course, that Strozny at the time was of an age as his reported victims. He has nurtured a seed of hatred and monstrosity inside of him for quite a long time, I'm afraid. A seed that has only been further nurtured and grown by the 
Baron's, dare I say, loving efforts. I see. And I must assume that being a capable woman, you must have safeguarded yourself this long by, well, by noticing certain, um, let us say, weaknesses, perhaps, in, uh, Strozny's uh, psychology or life? Well, that appears to be two different questions, my dear, though. The Baron... Well, Strozny is the Baron's dog. Quite a larger and more brutal one than the Mastiffs he calls pets. But be that it is as it may, Strozny very rarely acts of his own volition. He is... And for much of his life, has been a tool of the Baron's will. You see, Strozny would not dare strike upon me were it not for the Baron's goodwill. And my family and our history renders me certain unique protections that might make the Baron reluctant to move directly against me or mine. Of course, evidently, in the case of my Dear daughter's fate, that does not evidently extend quite as far as I might have hoped. But regarding your particular question, regarding weaknesses Strozny may have, he is a brute. Cunning at times in a wicked manner, but hardly to be said capable of complex plans or machinations. He is quite taken with the bottle, and can often be found in such an unwitting circumstance, and is quite fond of brute force, which I suppose, if you are able to outwit him, might be turned against him in some way. Though, of course, he is quite dangerous on his own. I didn't remind you that his abilities to conjure flame, that he is more than willing to exercise at his own skill with his axe, make him a formidable adversary in open combat, though I should hope that neither you nor I should have to experience such a risk at any given point, though your friend should of course be aware should he choose to greet Strozny in person. Produce flame? Is he a a magician of some sort, then? Oh, no. I certainly hope not. It would be for the worst of all of us if Strozny was somehow capable of the intricacies of spellcraft. No. He is corrupted. None know how, but only that upon an occasion as a young man, an arm he had once thought lost was regrown. A devil's limb, it is said, and in the times that I've seen it, I can scarce shake the resemblance to what I imagine a devil or demon might have. If you've seen him, you might recognize it. It is by whatever eldritch or diabolic power he has been granted that he can conjure these flames, I believe. I have not heard any reports of spellcraft or incantations or components now. Whatever corruption has been wrought upon his body, it has permitted him access to abilities that I believe many would deem unnatural. Lillison nods and uh, then continues... 
And do you happen to know if he is well-liked amongst his, uh, well, I would hesitate to say friends, but perhaps peers? Would many come to his aid if he cried out? Well, Strozny is an operative of fear, my dear. So long as they fear what he may do, he can command others to come to his aid, though the townsfolk of Valachia have such a humor and persuasion that I am unsure that many would be capable of any violent action to join him unless stood up somehow. Should he be have the time and wherewithal to draw up some of the Baron's guards from their posts, it is quite possible, well, not possible, he's done it before, to... Uh, escort undesirable visitors out of town, but on his own, I cannot say. He is by habit and by preference, as near as I can tell, quite a loner. I see. And if he has a fondness for drink, he may potentially be interested in the news that there is a new shipment of wine that has come in just today. It is certainly possible. From what I know, it is... Well, he is quite often seen uh, amongst uh, ill-drunken humors from time to time. At times of intoxication, at times merely enough to make him ever more dangerous. I cannot guess at the manner or means of his drink beyond that, I'm afraid but it is potentially something that one might find an advantage in. Lillison smiles and, uh, you know, takes a sip of her tea and just pauses for a moment to see if either Lady Wachter or Kiva uh, is going to speak up about anything. Kiva is... There's some gears turning in her head. Uh, DM, I have a question for you. So, By all means. The vial of nastiness that Kiva took from the druid's body, did, and maybe someone in the party can, did we ever, like, investigate that to see exactly what it was and how it worked? Uh, like, was it I... a poison, or was it, or, or would she have any idea? So as you... We're in, so I believe the Mardukovs told you before you departed that the Druids had poisoned the wine or spoiled it in some way that made it unfit for consumption uh, before you left. Okay. Did we have a full vial or were they like mostly she does. empty vials? No, she it's, has it's, a... got, it's not got all of it. It's got maybe a third of the, whatever syrup it was left. But Kiva's mind is thinking it might be enough for a single glass, perhaps. Um, okay, that's good to know. It's, she's very visibly thinking about it, and then she sort of realizes that her face must be sort of obviously <laughs> uh, that she's got thoughts on her mind, so she sort of tries to go back to a very um, polite, neutral, like, sips tea mask. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't outwardly say anything. All right. Well, and I suppose that being the Baron's faithful hound and everything, he must be out in the town most of the day performing various duties? 
Duties is a bit of a strong word, but he does look and skulk about the town to ensure that none are, uh, as the Baron would call it, displaying signs of malicious unhappiness, I believe. Though, beyond that, I cannot say, though, it is somewhat odd. From what I've heard, um, well, I'm unsure if you're aware of uh, the happenings of yesterday's festival, but there were some activities that might presumably merit uh, Master Strazny's presence. But from what I've heard, no one has seen hide nor hair of Master Strozny since the festival's conclusion. It's odd. Oh, indeed. We had heard something of what happened yesterday, but it was very confused reports. Were you there? Myself, no. I have managed to arrange for convenient excuses to avoid the vast majority of the Baron's unbecoming festivals, but from what I have been informed, it was unpleasantly disastrous. And you hear she kind of grits her teeth very slightly on the last word um, before quickly smoothing the expression over um, and offering you a small uh, neutral smile. Well, surely you might be happy that it was disastrous, if I can speak so plainly. Oh, yes, of course. It, um, as near as I can tell, there is certainly a growing discontent with the Baron's festivals. I should hope that, uh, in the absence of Strozny's reign of terror, many of the town's people would be easily swayed against the belief that these festivals do anything to protect them from ill events. It is my understanding that many of them already doubt the efficacy and, well, disasters in this vein certainly do not do much good for the Baron's cause. Though, I of course am troubled by the prospect that anyone could have been injured in such an unreasonable event. If no one has seen Strozny since yesterday, is it possible that he might be missing? Or injured? Either is certainly possible. I'm afraid that I've uh, not heard gleanings, gleanings of where um, or what might have become of him. The last I know is he was seen at the festival in evident good health, and from there, nothing. Kiva's hand sort of starts to shake a little bit again, but she puts her other hand on top of it. Well, Surely this must represent um, an opportunity for you to begin to, let us say, expose the Baron for what he is without his uh, henchmen in the way intimidating everybody else. Fiona simply nods, perhaps. I know that our companion last time, Metrion, was uh, a little uncouth about this, but, well, I believe that we might speak a little more plainly now. We do seem to have, if not completely a common cause, then at least a common enemy, and I believe that perhaps we can be useful to each other. It certainly 
lightens my heart to hear such words. Please, how might what might you be envisioning? Well, what we have been craving, all of us, is nothing more than security. And as you might imagine, being told all of these tales about strange beasts and creatures savaging people beyond the walls of this city, well, if we could make the city of Valaki a little safer for everybody by removing rabid dogs from its streets. What sort of happy daily life do you think could be possible here for humble people of no particular station? Well, in the broader context, I should certainly hope that the townsfolk shall be spared the suffering under the continued ire of fear and false festivities. Should circumstances see fit to change it, I am sure that those who assisted in the bringing of peace might be able to find friends in higher places and perhaps uh, suitable compensation for their efforts. She nods and smiles and uh, says, my, well, it has been made rather clear to us that we are unlikely to ever leave this land and it has been made clear to me in particular that whatever station or privilege I might have once held, it is not recognized here. And perhaps for the rest of my companions, they may find lives that are equally as happy as they might have once held, but I fear that for myself, unless I do something truly spectacular, perhaps there is something that is lost forever to me. Fiona smiles once again, but as it has not the, for all the time you've known her, the warmth of it does not quite reach her eyes. Instead, she reaches forward, uh, setting her teacup down on the table and meets your gaze. My dear, Oh, shall I say of respect, Lady Tornsail? I confess that the circumstances in Velaki these days are of a troubling nature, but I assure you, should circumstances change, you and your friends shall be better suited to the town you shall find. Of this I am quite confident. I Offer my condolences for the realization you have come to, but perhaps it is one that was inevitable for all of us. And it is our calling, our burden to 
do what we can and what we must with the hands we are dealt by fate. Hmm? Wilson also smiles a little, um, equally, you know, not reaching her eyes, and uh, sort of nods politely and says, That is all that any of us can hope to do, and yet, who accepts the world only as it comes to us? I should note that um, I believe we might have met or perhaps Matt is a strong word, we might have seen uh, your sons in the tavern a night or two ago. They seemed very, well, full of life, I should say. Hmm. She takes up her tea and takes a long, long draught of it for a moment before swallowing and nodding, a bit of an iciness to her eyes. Yes, they are quite the rambunctious couple of boys. Seeing such genuine joy and laughter here is... It has been a balm for those of us who have seen nothing but grief and sorrow for so long. I am touched to hear that. I am sure that I would be more than glad to relay your kind words to my boys. She smiles just a little bit wider and then nods and then uh, drops the subject. So, my dear, if I might hesitate to ask, I notice that your companions are not present but nonetheless, your questions seem evidently pointed. Might I be so bold as to inquire as to your intentions regarding Master Strozny? Well, my companions are taking care of their own business, which we do not yet know how long it might take, but... And she looks over to Kiva. Our intentions are to take care of him in as quiet and discreet a manner as we might. Kiva adjusts her scimitar on her lap. Fiona, you can see the tension evidently leave her shoulders and she sits back uh, nursing her cup with a small, cold, uh, pointed smile. Wonderful. I'm, I must confess that I trust intimately in your capacity for discretion in the time that I have known you. And I thank you, my dears, for the great service you presume to undertake for the people of our town. I must caution you with a single word of advice, however, if I might. Yes. The machinations and madness of the Volokovich family run deep. I have been told of strange aberrations of activity occurring in the manor beyond the Baron's ordinary activity. I've heard tale of strange light of a violet and purple illumination 
emanating from the windows of the highest floor on chance nights. Strozny himself has betrayed a diabolic influence, but I cannot say if it is of his own volition or of something deeper and darker in the roots of the Velokovich family. I must warn you to be wary of whatever fell activities may go on beneath their roof. I'm not afraid of pruning family trees. I tend to have a little bit of experience with that. Fiona just takes another sip, but you catch a uh, glint of what seems like deep satisfaction in her eyes. Lillison uh, is actually surprised a little bit and uh, gives Kiva a warm smile. Sorry, I just need to take a moment. Whew, this scene. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kiva gives Fiona an equally understanding look and is if Lillison is the one sort of trying to um, keep things as uh, vague as possible, Kiva is giving off the energy that like, let's just fucking say what we're saying here and um, you know, wants Fiona to understand that she knows what she's going to do and she has a plan for what she's going to do and she just needs to know if Fiona is going to sort of help them uh, execute that plan. Meanwhile, Lillison over here being all like, Kiva is a very fine gardener. <laughs> ah! God damn it. And with that, Fiona finishes taking a sip of her tea and sets it down, the cup uh, now nearly drained. Well, I must confess it has been a pleasure to enjoy your company once more, and when you see them, please do extend my greetings and gratitude to your companions as well. Is there anything more that I can do to assist in your business? Well, you have given us a great deal of very valuable information and all we can ask of you now is to wish us the very best of luck. That I certainly shall, but I should hope you won't need it. Luck is a refuge that those of sufficient skill need not seek. And you, my dears, seem quite capable of crafting luck quite on your own. Lillison smiles um, a little more genuinely this time and just nods, um, finishes her tea and sets the cup down very gently. Thank you ever so much for your hospitality on, sh on such short notice. But of course, thank you for your company. It has made for a welcome distraction. Kiva gives Lillison a sort of uh, side glance and stands. Um, you can see that despite her like pointed sipping, she really hasn't finished more than half her tea. So she sets the cup down and then she uh, approaches Lady Wachter and gives a sort of uh, half curtsy, half bow. Lady Wachter stands and offers a gracious nod. Well met, my dear. I certainly hope that I shall see you again soon and in good health and good spirits. Kiva, um... If her hand is available, Kiva will 
uh, asked to sort of take it as if she's going to like kiss her hand. Uh, I would say that her hand is kind of hanging at her side. Um, if you, I would say that, you know, you can kind of indicate, uh, she looks a bit surprised at the motion, but does, it, it seems like Lillison, you can tell it seems almost more out of surprise and kind of, there's kind of a humoring look on her face as she holds her hand out toward you, Kiva. Kiva looks up into her eyes and says, any assistance you or reckless boys or friends of your message could offer us would also be greatly appreciated. I'm afraid I'm more than a little recognizable, so if you happen to know people, tell them that they can seek me out. And then she will drop the hand and leave. Fiona offers a small nod, merely looking somewhat thoughtful as she watches you go. Lillison will, uh, you know, stand, give Lady Fiona, um, you know, the, the amount of nod that happens between equals and then uh, follow Kiva out. All right. The two of you are able to make your way out onto the misted estates of Octor House and back into the street of Velaki once more. The second they're sort of out of sight, Kiva almost like crouches in on herself and just sort of takes a deep breath and um, sort of squeezes her eyes shut. She's just sort of uh, readjusting herself. Lilson will um, like stand about five feet away looking very uncertain and then uh, take a step in and just like very lightly touch her shoulder. Kiva uh, looks up appreciatively and uh, sort of embarrassment on her face. She stands up and shakes herself off and uh, says, I think we did all right. Lillison's going to switch to Elvish again and say, I fear I might have uh, revealed perhaps a little too much, but I think it is not a disaster. It is very good to know that he hasn't been seen around. Uh, I suppose that's a good thing, but I don't know what that means for Irina. And so I'm not taking it as uh, a positive just yet. Yes, I do hope Erethrindir does not run into him all unawares. Perhaps we should warn him. Yes, um, if you get close to the house. Can you do that uh, message thing? I can try. I don't know where in the house he will be, and well, we can scarcely skulk about the house until uh, Is it on our is it on our way back? Is it on our way back, DM? <laughs> uh, at this point, you're, if you would like, you can start making your way back to the inn, or where are you headed? Is the um, Burgomaster's house between Lady Walker's house and the inn? Uh, very much no. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Lillison will switch back to Common and say, uh, well, shall we take a nice little stroll before returning? I could stretch my legs, I think. 
Okay, they're going to head off towards the Burkmaster's house. <laughs> We're going to try. We're going to try. All right. Very good with that. Uh, Erthrandir. Yes. Finding yourself in the home of Baron Vargas Velakovich, you follow the maid as she begins leading you up the stairs of the entryway uh, staircase to the second floor. As you do, you hear a throat being cleared behind you, and the maid stops in her tracks. Turning, you can see the Baron at the foot of the steps, his arms crossed over his sides, one foot tapping, a severe look on his face, slightly annoyed, as the two Mastiffs sit at his sides, their tongues lolling and their eyes fixated upon you. But the Baron's eyes are not set on you, but the maids. Dorina, are you really so empty-headed? to bring such an unnatural creature upstairs instead of simply fetching the boy. Please, do not disappoint me further. Earthrendir coughs. Well, of course I wouldn't dream of how to tell you how to situate things in your own house, sir, and I'd be happy Excuse to Excuse me. I am disciplining my servants. Of course. He turns toward the uh, maid. You. Take him into the parlor, then fetch the boy. Ensure that you do not take over much of my time than you have already wasted. Go. If I'm, sir, if I might, there's, nope. I, he keeps talking. They're for recalcitrant students, as it seems your son might be. It is often incredibly beneficial to deal with them in their environment, in a place they're comfortable. If it's it, I've seen it do wonders for the, those of many noble houses. The boy in his is in his home, and the boy will learn to do as he is told. Of course, sir. But of course, but in a more specific space. It would help greatly in, well, making, sh from what it sounds, making sure something actually sticks. I've seen it happen many a time, sir. It ends up being very important that they have the chance, that I have the chance to talk to them in their full environment. It can really help st them start to learn some sense, if you catch my drift. He, you can see that he appears to be offering you a quiet, dangerous look. And as he does, you hear him speak quietly. Do you mean to imply that I am not capable of facilitating the education of my son? Oh, far from it, sir. But Good. I also... Then you shall dismiss the issue and be grateful that I have permitted you to expand your talents through access to the heir of the Velokovich line. He kind of narrows his eyes uh, for a moment, expecting your response. If that is how you wish it, sir, I would not dream of telling you how to operate in your own house. Good. But now that I look upon you, and by this point, the maid Dorina is long gone, having scurried up the stairs. Forgive me. 
I do not believe that I had the pleasure to see you at our festival the preceding day. Ah, yes. I'm terribly sorry. By the time we had heard about it, we were out making sure that the Wizard of Wines made their wine, made had their wine back from a delayed delivery. They had had a disruption in supply, and they had asked us to help, and we thought it would be very important to make sure that, well, wine would flow and that all would be well. I apologize. I deeply apologize for our ignorance on that front, though, and I am sure that many festivals to come will be lovely. Make a deception check. Alrighty. Fifteen. He nods, grunting. Hmm. It is good to know that shipments shall be uninterrupted. But I should hope, now that you have sufficient forewarning, that you would uh, ensure that your presence is is noticed at our next festival. I it wouldn't... Would, it is quite important, essential, essential, in fact, that all of Vlocki's residents and visitors properly attend these events. It is a matter of security, you understand. Of course, sir. And I wouldn't dream of missing another now that I know, now that I fully know. Good. Then I shall expect to see you and... Hmm. Did you arrive alone in my town? I have uh, heard of late that outsiders have been seen amongst its walls. No, sir. I was amidst a group of travelers who were brought together by circumstance. Good. Ensure that your companions are present. It would not do for the fet of fools to be ill-attended by denizens within Wallachie's walls. Erthrandir nods. And before he heads down the stairs, can he sort of scan the upstairs hallway? See what he can make out? Uh, you're on the landing, like, only halfway up right now. Um, if you'd like, you can make a quick perception check. Um, All right. Take a quick look at what you can see. Three. Uh, you can just very faintly see what seems to be a, a portrait of some kind at the top of the landing, uh, but you're only able to make a quick glance before, you know, fixing the Baron with your gaze once more to make sure he doesn't catch you peeping. Yep. All right. In that case, Barathrin Deer will head reluctantly downstairs to the parlor. Good. Well, as you make your way past, he, uh, holds up a hand again and says, wait for a moment. He nods. Uh, question. How is Erthrandir's, uh, is Erthrandir's scar visible? Does he have Paul putting his hair over it, as you mentioned earlier? Uh, he's got his hair over it, but you'd probably be able to see it if you were, like, looking at him from the room properly. <laughs> I must demand that you remove the hair from your face. It is known that those that conceal their visages are like to be spies of the devil. I would oh. not uh, seek to introduce one of those to my blood. Erthrandir pulls it aside. My apologies, sir. Don't mean to seem underhanded. I just wish to spare you and your family the side of a 
ugly recent happening. His eyes kind of widen and his nostrils flare somewhat as he takes a slight step back. Hmm. Truly unpleasant. Indeed. Replace the hair. It would not do for you to display such twisted, unnatural visage to my son. As you say, sir. Do you have a hood as well? No. Gotcha. Uh, he kind of frowns. <laughs> actually, ears. actually, yes, he does, because the mental image okay. is much funnier. Gotcha. Good. Put that up as well. It would not do for my son's mind to be spoiled by visions of such unnatural creatures. You understand, of course. Erthrandir nods, smiling, although someone who know him would probably see that the teeth were very gritted. Of course, good sir. And glad to do what I can to ensure that your son has a happy, productive education. Good. And at this point, you hear footsteps approaching from uh, the staircase. Um, as the two of you are standing outside the door to what you presume to be the parlor, uh, you see Dorina, uh, the maid, making her way downstairs. And here she appears to be uh, accompanied by a thin young man uh, with a what seems to be a premature streak of gray in his dark hair. He has both arms kind of crossed, huddled against his uh, ch uh, stomach or lower chest and just kind of avoids meeting uh, the Baron's gaze. Uh, the Baron does give a nod. Good. Dorina, sit in on the boy's lesson and ensure that nothing untoward is discussed. Victor, I expect that you will do your best to ensure that this effort I have expended is not wasted upon you again. Yes? The uh, young man who you presume to be Victor just kind of mumbles something and the Baron reaches forward and clasps a uh, fierce grip on his son's shoulder. Forgive me, I did not hear you, boy. Victor just kind of glances up at him. Yes, father, I, I assure you that I shall learn. He kind of shoots you a very questioning, somewhat skeptical look and drops his gaze back to the ground. Uh, at this point, you notice that the uh, Victor does have slightly gritted teeth. Oh, the Baron huh. nods. Good. Dorina, I trust that it shall be no trouble to complete your ordinary duties in addition to sitting in. That I shall not see that my quarters are insufficiently cleaned before dinner. Uh, the maid quickly nods. Uh, yes, your lordship. Absolutely. Good. And he snaps his fingers. See to it, then. I must be off to prepare for the fete. He uh, clasps a very tight hand on Erthrandir's shoulder. It will be in four days' time. At the beginning in the town square. Ensure that your companions are present, yes? I look forward to it, sir. Excellent. And he nods and steps away. Alright. So, Erthrandir is going to step into the parlor, letting Victor do so on his own time. But as he does, he's going to make sure that 
when at wherever Dorina sits down, Erythrindir is going to have his her his back to her, so she can't see his front. All right, uh, making your way into the parlor. Uh, from what you can see of it, it's it contains um, a few armchairs. Uh, the way that they're arranged, uh, there is a armchair toward the door in the back of the room, and then there is on the other side a uh, white sofa sitting and between the two there are a pair of armchairs facing a small wooden table uh the parlor overall contains a fine array of furnishings and draperies with an overall feminine touch yeah and as you make your way inside uh victor just kind of shuffles in along after you looking absolutely quite miserable uh yeah. and he just kind of stands uh off to the side of the door uh not quite meeting your eyes and just standing expectantly Erythrindir is going to take one of the armchairs and sort of pat the other one. And once Victor sits down, he'll give him a gaze and says, Once he, okay, he's going to wait a moment for the Baron steps to fade away. <laughs> but once they do, he's going to kind of look to him and say, All right, now I look forward to getting the chance to work with you. My name is Erythrindir Ariel. It's a pleasure to meet you. He nods. And, uh, and you're Victor, correct? Yes. All right, splendid. So, Erythrindir kind of takes on an uncharacteristically, like, straightforward and strict look and says, All right, so first things first, before we get to anything, I need to know what you know. And what's your education been focused on thus far? He blinks at you. Um, and that I, can be self-guided or taught, mind, like either are meaningful here. Some history, I suppose. Oh, splendid, splendid. Ooh, of what kind? Largely, uh, History of the house. Some bits of heraldry, I suppose. Ah, splendid. Do you know any languages? I... I know how to speak. <laughs> Erthrandir gives a... Erthrandir, like, shows the corner of a smile at this. Other languages, I meant. But I'm quite happy you know how to speak. And, uh... Actual, and, oh, penmanship's always important. Erythrindir pulls a piece of parchment from his pocket and is going to jot something down on it. Here, I'll give you some instructions, and then you can repeat what I wrote. On the parchment, he's going to write in very small handwriting. Listen, I'd like to teach you what you want to be taught, but we've got to be roundabout about this. I'll give me a summary of what you'd actually be interested in, and I can see about I can see about actually getting that across covertly. I can teach some I can teach some amount of magic outside history, as well as a good bit of astronomy, biology, and well, a fair bit about the outside world if that interests you. Just write back it what, if any of that would be interesting, and hand it back to me. Thank you. All right. Uh, he kind of 
looks at the paper that you offer him. Is this some sort of test? Uh, no, no. Just repeat what? Just write, write back the passage I wrote for you for handwriting purposes, you understand. I need to make, I need to make sure your penmanship is good. Make a deception check. Just a general purpose. 14. All right. He, he's he, definitely doing the eyebrow waggling, though. Like he's, he, he gives you a long, like, very confused look, but takes the paper, reads it, and as he does, you notice his brows kind of furrow. He just kind of stares at it for a few long, lingering moments, and then you hand him, what, a, a pen, a quill? Uh, Marathon Deer's got a pen. All right, he accepts the pen, and after looking at it for a few moments, just very quickly uh, and messily scratches something down on the paper. Um, he hands it back to you. There are two words written at the bottom. They read magic and outside. Erthrandir gives a Erthrandir gives a quiet fist pump at this, though not so the maid can see, and then kind of scans it very grimly. Ooh. Well, hmm. Your handwriting is ex. Well, your handwriting is atrocious. I'm sorry to say. We'll need to keep practicing for that. So I'm afraid that we'll need to be conducting the rest of this, a good bit of the rest of this lesson written. I'm sorry about that, but you've got to be. You've got to get into shape somehow. It's a shame for a scion of a noble family to have handwriting like that. Yeah, but and and but yes. So, first things first. I'm sure a man of your sort of of your sort of lineage could definitely learn a lot about heraldry. And as and as he says that, he taps the spot on the paper where Victor wrote magic very intentionally. So, what kinds of heraldry have you been studying? For instance, I have studied heraldry done by bards and other folks who make music, they often have a unique way of make of heraldry that other folks don't. But there are other schools, of course. There's the heraldry of the great arcane family, and of course the divinists who've made some of the finest who's made some of the finest family crests ever heard. And, you know, of course some families make it themselves. So which kind would you be interested in? What kind of heraldry? Yes, heraldry. The kind by the arcane family, or the divine family, or the bardic family? Yeah, which of those would you prefer to learn about? And which of those do you know about yourself, if at all? He blinks at you for a moment. I've learned most of my heraldry from books. Ah, so the Arcane family. Splendid. They're they're a good lot. Not my cup of tea, personally, but they can do some very colorful crests. And, alright, well, let's see. Erthrandir scribbles something down again. Now, why don't you, as a bit of a test, show me one of those Arcane crests. On the paper, he's written... Alright, so... It, what level? At what level of magic are you operating on? You say, do you have a spell book? Are you 
Have you learned cantrips? What sort and for what purposes? And what do you know and what are you interested in? He uh, glances down at the paper you've handed him and frowns and says aloud, I don't know that uh, I need to well you're the you're the expert in heraldry, right? Of course. What heraldry do you know? Oh, well, I, I know and have made, in fact, a good bit of heraldry by the bardic trade, but my teacher, the one who taught me a lot of things, taught me to respect arcane heraldry most of all. And so I know I cannot practice it personally, but I know a tremendous amount about it. So... I might be inclined to be able to help to, you know, age or education, or if you wish to go into bardic heraldry yourself, then I perhaps could help you with that. He fixes you with a long look and then says quietly, show me. Erythrindir is going to take a casual blank glance back at, at the maid. What is she doing? She's kind of watching you blankly from the chair closest to the door. Um, make an insight check. Sure thing. That is a natural one. She seems to be just kind of like staring toward the two of you. All right. Erythrindir, but the back of my armchair is facing her, right? She couldn't, she can't Correct. see the front. All right. Erythrindir is going to extend a hand quietly, and while talking loudly about something, he, a, the form of a beautiful reddish-orange flower extends from his hand and blooms as he casts Minor Illusion. Does this have, this does not have verbal components. Mm. All right. Nope. Nice. All right. Uh, the illusion does appear, uh, as near as you can tell, outside of the sight of the maid sitting behind you. And you can see uh, Victor nod quietly. Hmm. Yes. So, of course, my type of heraldry isn't right for everyone, but it does serve some interests, and I know enough about the other kinds that I might be able to help you if I knew for instance, what sort you'd be interested in, and why. Do you know heraldry? And there's a bit of a, like a, like he's almost like very confused by the words, not confused, but kind of like annoyed at the, at the pretense. Yep. Used by houses that traveled from one place to another place. Erythrindir, like, gives him a discreet thumbs up. Oh, oh, yes, of course, of course. The Conjurer's lovely family. Oh, oh, man, I think I, I, I know all about them. Yes, yes, I've, I've heard of them. They, you know, need to take their heraldry on the move, so they have to have banners that'll sustain that sort of thing, and... Yes, yes, so uh, what part of their operations would you like, like to hear about? How they went very far away, and how they how they went there. Ah, 
Oh, yeah, of course. I'd be happy to tell you a bit about their journeys. It's important that, of course, you know about the other noble houses. And he's going to scratch down on on paper. Here's here's an example of some of them. And there he's going to list. Well, there are varying teleportation spells depending on power. There's some that can the I don't know any personally that can move move you more than say 30 feet, but I've read of ones that can go anywhere from that can go miles and miles. Though the most common one is something called a do I need to make an arcana check for this, or can we assume this is just part of Erythrindir's education? Um, at this point, uh, you hear a sigh, and uh, Victor pushes his chair back slightly, getting up from his chair. He makes his way over to Darina in the corner. She kind of looks up at him, uh, looking a bit confused. He says, You... I don't think you need to be here, do you? And she kind of blinks up at him. Uh, no, uh, your, your, your father said that I had to be here. You kind of, you hear him grunt. Really, I don't think it's necessary for you to be here. This is ridiculous. She blinks and shakes her head. Young master, are you trying to imply something? Grunson, you actually hear him curse very slightly. I don't think you need to be here. She blinks, and you watch her eyes glaze over very faintly. Oh, fuck. Right. Young master, I'm very sorry. I'll go uh, see to my chores then, yes? He nods. Just to make sure that my father isn't bothered by you not being here. She nods. Yes, of course. Not a problem, my dear. Or young master. She kind of kind of stands up, brushing her skirts off, gives him a small curtsy, and steps out of the room, making her way quietly to the door and vanishing into the corridor. Victor immediately turns toward you. I presume Erythrindir caught that that was a spell. Oh, yes, you heard him mumbling something strange under his breath uh, all okay. three times. Right. You said you can tell me how to go places. Tell me and show me now. Erythrindir kind of is on pyre alert from this, but keeps his hood up. All right. So long and short of it, I cannot do it myself, but... If I can't, but I know of the spells that can do it, and if you are, and if you need to know specifics about what kind of spells those are or how they work, I can get to you. What are you trying to do? He gives you a long look. Make a persuasion check. All right. Natural 20, 25. Yeah, Damn. He eyes you for a long moment and then a bit of tension leaves his shoulders. You're really not one of his men, aren't you? For either of the permutations of his, you could be talking about, no, no, I am not. 
I'm a traveler. Good. Then nothing I tell you gets to him, right? Erythrindir looks at him and kind of something strange plays in his face. I promise. Not a word that said leaves this room. He nods. Good. You say you know how to move places, how to be kind of frowns. I think the word is teleport. Yes, there are different school. There are different schools, but that is what's most commonly used. Good. I want to get out of here. Tell me how. Erythrindir blanks, not expecting this. I presume by here you mean the mists. He nods. Okay. Well, I have bad news for you then, unfortunately. That's going to be infeasible unless you can do some teleportation of very strong power. The the sort of magic that it would need to move outside of this geographic area would be immense. You'd have to be a incredibly powerful you'd have to be an incredible powerful wizard or sorcerer to pull that off you'd need a teleportation circle or a blue veil or something i i don't know so i don't think i think it's probably out of reach for both of us at the moment he nods so what you mean is you're too weak to do it but you know how someone might do it accurate Good. All right. You mentioned teleportation circles. Do you know anything about them? I'm familiar. They're... I've... Yeah, no. In my training, I studied a few. Good. Then I need you to come with me. Earthrendir nods. All right. Though, we need to be sure to be back down here when you're... When the Baron comes back. I don't, I don't, I'm, what's, what we've said stays together, but I don't need to be getting into trouble. He shakes his head. No, 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 you won't be any problems. And he kind of uh, reaches out and places a hand on your shoulder. Oh, no, he does not. If he's, if he's actively trying that, Erythrindir is jerking away. He blinks at you. What are you doing? I'm trying to make sure that you won't get in trouble. How? Explain the nature of the spell you were doing to that. It's going to make it so that people can't see you. I thought you said you knew what magic was. I was doing that to make sure you were not going to do... Of course. Pardon, silly old me. I I had a moment, moment of weakness. My apologies. Yes, please. That would be lovely. Good. He pauses. Unless you're... No, you said you're too weak for that. And he kind of not reaches over and pokes you on the shoulder, and you vanish into invisibility. All right. Erythrindir... Victor cannot see this, but Erythrindir grimaces, because this is... Because, like, that confirms that he is a lot stronger than he thought he was. All right. At that, Victor nods. Come on. It only lasts for a minute. We've got to get upstairs. Understood. Erythrindir is going to stand up and follow Victor out once the door is open. All right. Um, he guides you out to the parlor, quickly checking both ways before uh, seeing if there's anyone who might be standing in the way. 
evidently there doesn't seem to be so. He and you cut across the entryway up to the stairs uh, that lead to the second floor. Okay. He continues uh, passing upstairs, and as he does, uh, you can see the staircase climbs 20 feet to what looks to be a beautifully appointed gallery that continues toward the west, running almost the length of the mansion. You can see framed landscape paintings line the walls in red silk drapes covering a 10-foot-tall arch window of leaded glass. Okay. Arison Deer's going to follow him up. He continues making his way uh, briskly uh, down the stairs, and as he does, you come to a 10-foot-wide portion of the gallery that stretches almost the length of the mansion. You can see breathtaking paintings of landscapes lining the walls and two separate narrow hallways leading away from the gallery to the north. Uh, as he passes across the first hallway, Victor uh, checks around the corner and then moves as quietly as he can across the way. Okay. Aerithrodeer is going to take a moment to look at the hallway that Victor checked into. How many doors are there? Uh, from what you can see, four. Uh, two close ones, uh, one beyond that, and one at the very end. Okay, long shot. Are we on carpet or hardwood? This is hardwood. And there was someone downstairs tromping around with iron boots. Where this Was there not? Downstairs? Uh, previously, yes. Can Erthrandir see any marks in front of all of these doors that look like they might have been made by someone with iron boots walking uncarefully? Uh... Yes, but this is going to be tough because you only have a second to glimpse it. Give me a perception check with disadvantage. Okay. <laughs> well, at best, that's a five. Yeah, five. Uh, you, you see little smears that might be mud from Prince, but you don't have a second to see anything more before Victor sweeps along and you are forced to make your way beyond uh, along with him. Are okay. you attempting to move quietly as well? Yep. All right, make a stealth check for me. Alrighty. 19. All right. Uh, you invisibly and Victor visibly tiptoe as silently as you can, uh, making your way to the second uh, branching off corridor. You can see there's a uh, staircase that leads down, presumably toward the back rooms of the house. But instead, Victor turns right, heading north along the second corridor. He passes okay. by two left side doors before reaching a door at the very end. Any of these doors have any particular markings on them, or is the, are they all labeled? Uh, the doors are not marked in a particular way that you can see, at least in this corridor. Okay. Erthendir is going to take a moment to pause as Victor steps forward and listen and see if he can hear anything from any of these. Make a perception check. Gotcha. 20. 20. Listening in, you cannot hear anything from any of the three doors, though you can faintly hear the clanging of what sounds like pots and pans from the staircase at the bottom. All right. Erthrandir is just going to sigh and sort of say to himself that he'll need to do this on the way back and then follow Victor. All right. Uh, Victor makes his way in, through the door at the very end of the corridor, uh, very carefully opening it and peering through inside. Uh, 
for nodding and motioning for you to follow him. And as he closes the door behind the both of you, the invisibility spell winks out, leaving you visible once more. All right. Very nice. I presume we're going to your room. My work room. Come on. Uh, and you can see that as he moves forward, uh, he appears to have brought you into what seems to be a master bedroom, though time has faded its grandeur. The furnishings have lost some of their color and splendor, and you can see from where Victor is currently heading, however, a short pull rope hangs from a wooden trapdoor in the ceiling. Victor hmm. leans up with the familiar practice motion, pulls it down, and a wooden ladder slowly unfolds from the room above. He takes care not to let it uh, hit the floor loud enough to make any noise. Yeah, very nice. And yeah, Marathon Deer is going to take a quick look around the Baron's bedroom and then follow him. All right, glancing around, there doesn't seem to be anything of particular note, just the simple furnishings. There does seem to be a uh, single door leading to, on the right side, to what seems to be perhaps a closet, as well as a second door to the left that seems to lead to another room. Perhaps right. the one whose door you passed on the way in. Hmm. Sure, sure. Sorry. Are we going to be okay. bothered? And he, as he talks to Victor, he says, are, are we going to be bothered by that Isaac of your father's? I've heard stories. Is he in? I don't know. I don't ever see him. He doesn't come up here. All right. Understood. And yeah, Marathon Deer is going to follow him. All right. You follow him uh, up the uh, ladder, which Victor then carefully pulls up after him, closing the trap door below it, um, leading you up into a dusty 20-foot square room with a high-pitched ceiling that reaches its peak 20 feet above. You can see that the wooden rafters are shrouded in cobwebs, and except for an old table with a lantern on it, the room is empty, with a single door leading south. All right. Victor nods and reaching into his pocket and pulling out a small uh, uh, copper coin, holds it up and uh, murmurs something, a few words, and you see uh, a light spring up around the coin, illuminating the chamber as he makes his way into the through the door into the room beyond. All right. Yeah, no, keep following. You pass on to a large attic, completely unlit, save for the small bits of light that stream in through the uh, gray, dirty window from the initial room, and now illuminated as Victor brings in his flickering uh, copper coin into the space beyond. The large attic is full of old, forgotten things draped in white sheets. Piled around them are barrels, crates, trunks, and old furnishings covered with cobwebs and dust. You can see a clear footpath through the maze. Victor simply begins walking forward without so much as waiting for a buy your leave from you and continues his way through the footpath amongst the cluttered things toward right. a door on the opposite side. Any windows in here or no? It is completely unlit. No windows, no other door save for the entryway and what you can just barely make out over the uh, many things in the way by your height. Uh, a wooden door at the opposite end. All right. Erythrindir is going to keep close behind Victor then. All right. You wind your way alongside Victor uh, through the footpath and find yourselves at a simple wooden door on the other side. 
someone seems to have carved a large skull into this door. Very basic craftsmanship, and hanging from the doorknob, you see a wooden sign that reads, All is not well. Erthendur lets out like a howling laugh at this, that he desperately turns into a cough. I, ah, sorry, sorry, I've, uh, my uh, dust allergies, terribly. Victor just eyes you with just a bit of a hollow gaze for a moment, blinking before turning back to the door. All right. He moves forward with his hand and clicks it open. Um, making his way inside. All right. Erthendir is going to follow, though he's going to stay close to the door in a sort of effort to make sure Victor doesn't lock it behind them. All right. The door does, he does not lock the door. He just kind of leaves it halfway open to let you come in. Um, and do you close it behind you? No. He glances to you. You're supposed to close it. Otherwise they might come in. Ah, apologies. Erthendir will. It clicks shut, not with any sound of a locking mechanism, you're confident, and turn around to see the rest of the room uh, as Victor extinguishes the light around his coin. You can see that someone has taken old mismatched furniture and created a study in this dusty lamplit chamber. Tables are strewn with pieces of parchment on which strange diagrams are drawn, and a freestanding bookshelf holds a collection of bones. A dusty rug covers the floor in front of a pine box on which lounges a skeletal cat, entirely for it's not of flesh or muscle, but entirely of bone. Several more skeletal cats skulk about, and most unnerving of all is the sight of three small children standing with their backs to you in the northeast corner of the room. Erthrandir is altogether too preoccupied with the cats to get to the children. Like, he flinches backward as he sees them, kind of, like, almost scrambling to get out before kind of calming himself. Huh. Necromantic experiments, I presume? You look over and you see Victor idly patting the uh, skull of the cat on the uh, on the foremost desk. He blinks at you. Yes. Uh, quite simple to make. Just needed the bones. Course. Yeah, no, very nice. Good. <laughs> Good to have. It is clearly insincere, but Erthrandir doesn't dwell on it. So... You need so teleportation circles. What do you need to know? He immediately kind of just gives a faint nod and instead of replying to you, makes his way down to the south side of the room where you can see a, uh, a an old dusty rug, uh, slightly shaggy, covering the corner of the room. He picks it up in one hand, begins rolling it back, and as he does, you can see beneath it. A large circle, perhaps five and a half feet to six feet across, uh, that is carved of elegant, uh, intricate interlocking runes um, that spiral in places with uh, carved inscriptions that have been painted and in some places uh, uh, forced into the wood uh, in black, largely black ink and paints. He pulls the rug back and just kind of shoves it haphazardly against the desk behind him and then just turns and looks at you owlishly. You said you know how to make this work. Erthrandir's kind of just in shock for a moment. He blanks at it. Ah, didn't think you had one already made. 
yeah, give me a moment. I'll need some time. I'll need some time to look it over. These are uh, tricky things. And so Aerithrodeer... Yeah. So Aerithrodeer is going to start kind of idly walking around it, looking at it, and talking to Victor as he does. So, have you tried to use it yet? He blinks at you and then nods twice. Didn't work. Hmm. What'd you use? Just a test. Insight. By all means. Ten. He's like very slightly averting his gaze when you say that. If I'm going to help you, I need to know. It's, I don't care if you went and grabbed, just, I, I got it. If, if I'm going to be able to help you properly, I need to know the full extent of what you've been doing. I'm not going to snitch on you, I promise. I've got no motive and no reason. You're fine. You're fine. Make a, another persuasion check for me. 21. What's your modifier? Plus five. Jack of all Damn. trades. All right. Love it. Uh, okay. Um, Victor gives you a long glassy-eyed stare for a moment and then turns uh, toward a book on the table, which he just kind of opens and to a, a marked page. Uh, you can see it's quite a large uh, leather-bound tome with uh, long bits of inscriptions and you can see designs on it. And as he kind of stares at the book just kind of fidgeting and fiddling with uh, one of the pages. He mumbles to you. I tried it on um, two of the servants. They didn't take to it. Huh. Erthrandir is very happy his face is covered right now. He just kind of, his eyes go wide and he sucks in a breath. Ah. Would you mind telling the precise nature of the malfunction very important for troubleshooting you understand know how precisely it went wrong I don't know exactly I've been trying to work it out hmm. it looked he kind of pauses for a moment as if like kind of debating with himself uh, rehearing your words and then said it seemed to separate them quite impactfully and then there was just light and they were gone I was afraid of that alright yeah no that is not what that's supposed to do even remotely well, which of course you know you're damn intelligent by all accounts let me take a look at this that's not something we want happening Aerithrandir kind of is going to actually look at the circle now can he see any, like, flaws in the construction or anything that would cause it to make somebody separate? Make an arcana check for me. Fifteen. Looking over it, you take a minute or so to just kind of walk around the edges of it, uh, inspect the carvings, uh, and otherwise just reviewing the worksmanship. You see a few places where 
At first, the equations are slightly off. Some of the variables and the inscriptions don't quite work. Some of the carvings don't entirely meet up where they're supposed to. You realize, uh, as soon as you stand up, that this circle is horribly flawed and very potentially deadly to anyone in its vicinity when used. Does he know how to fix it? Are you saying that aloud? No. Oh, Arthur and Deer. Yes. Uh, you have not, given that you rolled a 15, I would say you've seen some teleportation circles, but you haven't studied them in depth. You know just enough to know that this is not how you make a teleportation circle. Okay. Deer, without looking up, still miming, sort of, still miming, studying this thing, says in a very small voice, how you so uh you downstairs you asked me about the outside world too i did what do you want to see one of those i want to see anything that isn't here and this is how i get there do you know how to fix it i'm i'm looking over it i'm looking over it but you know, I'm curious. These things have to have a destination sigil in mind. Where are you going? I found one of them. One of the ones that I found. I'm using that one. All right. Well, I know it exists. I know where I'm going. I just need to get this one right. Of course. Erthrandir stands. Well, first things first. Human subjects for teleportation circle not ideal for the first time. You need to start with lower quantities of mass and work your way upward. Very important. You get what works for, for, for... So you'd you'd be much better off starting with, say, a bluebird or one of the cats and sending that before you even think about human trials. Trust me, it's rule one in the Arcanist Guild back home. But additionally, there's some problems. I need time to know how to fix them. I'd need to probably spend a day or two cross-referencing your sigil, the sigil you base this on with the one on the floor, but if this thing is used, it's going to kill somebody. I knew that already. I just want to know how to fix it. Can you... What do you I... need to fix it? <sighs> time. Good bit of time, time to myself to figure out the necessary equations, and well, there's a inconvenience happening with my group at the moment that'll mean that I my time would be devoted elsewhere unless it can be resolved. Unfortunately, what do you need? I need this fixed. I understand. I uh, there's. A friend of mine, a girl with red hair. The last time we saw her, I, we thought she was being taken somewhere by the Mr. Strazani, the big man. We need to know where she is. That we, we, we need to know that she's safe. That's, and to be sure that nothing horrible's happened to her.
I need you, this is a bit retroactive, but uh, regarding, speaking as your DM, I don't believe that Erthrandir has the actual capability to assist Victor in facing the spell right now. I assume you would no. say that's fair. That's accurate. Then I, I need you to make a bit of a retroactive deception check for me, please. Can do. 17. All right. Fortunately, he does not have exceptional insight. Yeah, no. Victor just, Victor just nods. Right. Okay. Um, what do you need to know about him? What about it? Uh, well, we know, we know he lives around here, right? He lives in this house. He lives downstairs. Okay. Well, we need to figure out where he's keeping this girl. If you have any knowledge of that or any way of finding out, then I'd appreciate it. If, whether that be helping me, if anything you can do to track down where she's gone and tell me with specifics and ideally a time when he wouldn't be around so that we can visit and make sure she's all right, that would be ideal. He frowns. I, I know it's a lot. And I would not, this is not a requirement. I, you, whatever, and, and Erthrandir kind of gives him a, you don't, I'm not going to ask you to do something that goes against him. I, I know, I know how that can be. It's not my business, but if you can help, then I would be, tremendously grateful make a persuasion check with advantage because by this point you've pretty well convinced him that it's it seems that you've convinced him pretty well that you're going to be capable of helping him out okay god that is a 10 and a 9 fortunately the dc was not very high he grunts fine i can i don't want to but i guess i could Ask my parents what he's doing. No, 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 no. no. Uh, I, uh, if you think that's the way to do it, and you think they won't be suspicious, sure. But I think you're a smart. You're you're smart. You're capable, and from what you've seen, I've seen you're a powerful magician. I think you have other means of finding out. But what what do you need me to do? I, I just want to get this out of the way so you can do what you said you would. All right. What, what do you want me to do? We're... Aethendir kind of weighs this for a moment. Look around. Ask around. Use magic if you need to. Find out where she's being kept. If she's being kept in the house, then I would appreciate a hand in helping her not be there. If that's not something you can help with, then that's fine. But at minimum, we need to know where she is. He nods. Right. He kind of stands up from his chair, closing the book that he was reading and kind of thumbing through and says, I think our hour's almost up. I'll tell my father that you were a good teacher and that you taught me very well about the glorious history of Velaki or something. I'm sure he won't question it. He doesn't care. No. You come back tomorrow at the same time, and I will tell you what I have, and then you'll help me fix this. Sure. Good. It'll, pro it'll be a several-day process, though. This is 
going to be quite a thing. Fine, you can be my teacher more days. Just come back. Erthendir nods. Of course, and thank you. And remember what I said about mass transfer. Gotta be small. He nods, glances thoughtfully at one of the cats, and just nods again. All right. And Erthendir kind of holds out his hand. Pleasure. And I will say, it's a, a joy meeting someone of your intellectual cap curiosity in a place like this. It's been... It's been nice. He eyes your hand with an odd look. And then he just kind of puts his own hand down. Thank you, I study very hard. <laughs> Oh, studying can't give you all of that. Like, you can study for years and not have the kind of fire that you've got. That's... <laughs> Trust me, like, book learning's only part of it. There's all... The will is meaningful. But, yeah, but you gotta... It's also about application, learning how to use. And I think once you figure out application, you're going to be a very good wizard indeed. He blinks at you and you see... A small bit of, not a smile, but almost a small, noticeable twinge of satisfaction in his face as he nods. Good. Then we should be successful then. Well tried. And with that, he moves and kind of pushes, like, moves around you, like, not taking your hand, not coming very close to you, and begins unfurling the rug and pushing it over the teleportation circle once more. Okay. Erythrindia is going to take the time to sort of examine the room while he's doing this, see if there's anything... I guess... Here's a question. is going to see if he can see anything that looks remotely like a spell book. Uh, looking around, it's pretty easy to see. You actually... The book on the table that he was looking through and kind of fidgeting with, that looks very much like a spell book. is going to note this. Note the location. There's a window in here, right? Uh, two, actually. Looking out over the road outside. Alright. Do they look locked? The windows? I mean, they seem to have um, ordinarily, ordinary latches on them, but not any special security. Alright. Erythrindir is going to note this and kind of, once Victor is done putting the rug back as he should be, he'll follow him down. With that, Victor nods and kind of guides you outside through the door. And um, he kind of glances toward the door, like frowning for a moment, and then looks at you and says, Don't open this without me. Got it? Earthrendir kind of looks uncomprehendingly for a second and then blinks. Oh. Clever. Very clever. Yeah, now I'll remember. <laughs> Thank you. He nods and leads you back through the dusty, crowded attic. You, As Erythrindir passes the door, now knowing what to look for, can he see any sign of the booby trap? Um, at a glance, you can make a perception check. Yep. 19. 19? Um, yeah. Looking over it? Uh, let me take a quick look here. Uh, 
looking over it, you can just very faintly see uh, some bits of disturbed wood uh, around the skull's forehead, but you can't quite make out more than that without further inspe inspection. Okay. Marathrandir is going to nod and just follow him out of the house. Or follow him downstairs. Alright, All right. Uh, as you descend uh, once more into the master bedroom, he opens the trap door very quietly before... Actually, let me double check something real quick. He's not going to do that. Instead, he motions for you to wait for a moment. Then he closes his eyes and taps his own forehead before vanishing into invisibility. Uh, as you watch or rather listen, you then hear him murmur a few syllables before there's a rush of air in where he once stood. And you can abruptly feel that Victor is not beside you any longer. Herthrandir, now, now with the space alone, is going to take this time to try out a few very creative sailor swears and then waits for him to come back. All right. There's only a moment's pause before the trapdoor opens and... Um, I mean, the trapdoor already was kind of a little bit open. You saw he was kind of peering through it uh, below the, when he uh, cast the spell the first time. Yeah. Um, but uh, it shuts as he vanishes and then opens again a bit as he, uh, as you looking down, you can see him kind of holding the rope and pulling it down um, uh, and allowing the ladder to slowly make its way out. And you can see him now visible once more, standing um, at the foot of the bed in the master bedroom, pulling the trapdoor and the ladder down and glancing up at you somewhat impatiently. Yep, he'll follow. All right. And uh, with that, he kind of glances toward you, frowns, mumbles a few syllables, and moves to tap your shoulder again. All right. Earthrendir is growing incredibly alarmed at the fifth second level spell, but is going to not let anything on. All right, you wink out of sight, and he quickly and quietly does his best to lead you uh, out of the bedroom, closing the door quietly behind and descending once more to the parlor. All right. The door closes shut, leaving the two of you alone in, alone in the parlor, and he glances toward you. I don't think Dorina will come back for a while, but my father might check in on us. It's probably best if someone sees you leaving now. Yes. So, while we've got the time, the once you're out in the outside world, any plans, thoughts, you know, things you want to see first? The ocean, the mountains, libraries? Somewhere that he frowns for a second and then nods. Somewhere that doesn't have fog. Yeah, it is. I will say that it's <laughs> a vista without it's a beautiful thing. And I hope we can get you there. He nods. Good. I'll see All you right. tomorrow then. See you tomorrow. He kind of expectantly watches you go. Um, if you'd like, you may make your way out of the mansion onto the yep. street beyond. Very ostentatiously. All right. With that, you make your way out onto the streets of, of Velaki, and it is there where we will take our break today. Oh, boy. 
Well, that was certainly a first half of a session. Yeah. Victor's I, did, I, I did not expect that 25. Jesus Christ. Five. Bards. Love it. Nice nat 20. Yeah. No, he's been rolling great. Means when we get to combat, everything's going to go to shit. Why would I we go to combat? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, we got all of the excitement out of the way in the first half, right? Right. Right. The second half is just going to be boring shopping session. Two hours. Let's go. Let's do <laughs> it. Come on. <laughs> no. Filibuster. I've got things okay. to haggle for, so. Filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Oh, God. What have I done? All right. So we will pick this back up, as always, after a quick 15-minute break, and we will see you all back here very soon.